Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here this morning. My name's Aaron, one of the pastors here at Bridgewater, and uh, we're excited to be able to meet with you this morning. You know, the Christmas story is filled with some incredibly unlikely things. It really is. It's just filled with some events that if you really stop and think about it, you kind of got to go, what in the world? You know? And it got me thinking... Because the Christmas story is filled with um, some unlikely ways of communicating. It got me thinking about how we, in our culture today, try to get a message across. You ever tried to get a a really important message across? I mean, what what do you do? What do you do? You go to Facebook... You go online, you put it out there, you tag people, you send text messages, you call, you spend all sorts of time doing all sorts of things to get a message across, right? Our our world is really no different either. We find the the biggest names, we find the most popular people, the most well-known people, and we take them and we put them on TV, right? And we send them, we send a message through these people. You know, there's something that happens in our culture that's a cultural phenomenon that teaches us a lot about what we think it takes to get a message across. You ever heard of the little thing that happens in February called the Super Bowl? You ever heard of that? It's just, I don't know, it's not real big yet. Maybe one day. Maybe one day it'll be a, a big deal. Um, hey, 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 and my chiefs will be back there, okay? Uh, yes, thank you. Now, here's the deal. The first Super Bowl was played in 1967, and the chiefs played in it, okay? 1967, the chiefs played against the Green Bay Packers. Don't worry about who won. It's fine. It's fine. You know, don't worry about it. They played this game. And the, the TV producers had a wild idea. They thought, hey, we have a way that maybe we can make some money, recover some of the money that, that goes into making a production like this, and allow companies to get their message across. What if we tried to sell like spots in the breaks in between the game? And so for the first time ever in 1967, TV producers sold one-minute TV ads during the first Super Bowl for a whopping $7,500 a minute. Now, that was probably a lot of money back then. But they, they thought, hey, we need to get the biggest names and the, the most creative things and get it in front of people. And if we can do that, then maybe somebody will, will pay attention to our message. Man, we still do the same thing today. You know what the only difference is? We spend a whole lot more money doing it. Do you know what a one-minute TV ad for the Super Bowl cost? Which, by the way, I'll tell you, you, it, you get it in front of an average viewership of 113 million people. Okay, but a one-minute TV spot during the Super Bowl costs a whopping fourteen million dollars. 
<laughs> That's chump change, right? No big deal. Just to get a message across. Now, the story of Christmas is filled with messengers. It's filled with people who are doing the, the, the very same thing, who are trying to get a message across. But the thing that grabs my attention so much when I go through the Christmas story is that God seems to have very different priorities when it comes to the messengers. You know that? God seems to have priorities that I never would have come up with. He chooses people that I never would have chosen, which teaches me something interesting about God and his purpose. I want to walk through the, a couple of the most well-known passages in the Christmas story, and I want you to see some of the unlikely messengers, because here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that God uses an unlikely variety of messengers to pro proclaim Jesus' birth. He uses a wide variety to speak into different situations, which is really interesting because I think if we're honest, there's a variety of people here today, right? A variety of backgrounds, a variety of experiences, a variety of expertise, a variety even of ethnicity, and, and all sorts of interesting varieties teaches me something about maybe what God is up to in making you the way he did. Because so often, I wonder, why'd you make me this way? Maybe God knew what he was doing. In this story, you're going to see three very unlikely messengers. We're going to walk through Luke 2 and Matthew 2 and see portions of the Christmas story. And I want you to see who shows up talking about Jesus. Now, in Luke chapter 2, the first seven verses are dedicated to giving us the background of some of the messengers, okay? Giving us the background to, to what happened before the messengers show up. The first seven verses tell us that, that Mary and, is very pregnant, and this is all happening during the, the time when the Roman Empire was in charge over all of the area of Israel, and the guy who was in charge of the Roman Empire was a guy named Caesar Augustus. And apparently Caesar Augustus really wanted to know like how many people were under his thumb so he could know how much taxes he could collect and all of that. So he calls for a census and he tells everybody, you're to go to the place of origin for your family and you're to sign in and essentially make sure that we have a role of you. So Mary and Joseph, they do exactly what they had to do. You know, again, Mary and Joseph, not, not wealthy people, normal people like you and I, they make the long journey from Nazareth, which is in the north, in Galilee, all the way down to Bethlehem, which you'd find about in the center of the nation, about five miles to the southwest of the city of Jerusalem. And, and when they get there, Luke tells us that Mary started to have contractions and eventually gave birth. I mean, you talk about, you've heard stories of people giving birth like in their cars and stuff like this, you know. How about giving birth on a donkey? Or, you know, giving birth while traveling down a sand highway. That sounds like a lot of fun, right? They arrive in Bethlehem, and Mary and Joseph find out that 
None of their family there has room. Nobody in the town has room because tons of people have flocked there. And maybe they got there late because of the birth. Who knows? But there's just flat out no room. So Mary takes the baby, wraps the baby up in swaddling clothes, and lays the baby in a manger. And then in verse 8, we find that something's going on. Something that happened actually every day, something that's not abnormal, something that, that you, you know, wouldn't have you know, sounded weird to anybody in that day, but in verse 8 it says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby. And there were shepherds in the field every night. They were with their flocks every night because that's what a shepherd does. A shepherd takes care of his sheep. They're laying there. They're resting. They're guarding their flocks of sheep. But then something crazy happened. Verse 9 tells us that suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. I mean, something's going on that makes this angel just like stand out. And the text tells us that the shepherds were terrified. I wonder why. When I tend to think of angels, I I think I'd be like awestruck. I'd be like, whoa, cool. Like, that's awesome. You see the angel? Whoa. But you know, the more I read the scripture, the more I find that when angels were in someone's presence, it's a very scary, scary thing. Here's the deal. There are several times in the Old Testament when an angel would show up in the midst of an army, and before you knew it, everybody was wiped out. These guys were not to be trifled with. The Assyrian army, 185,000 strong, when angels showed up in their midst, they were so scared they had no idea what to do. Before long, everyone was dead because they had messed with the people of the Lord and refused to listen. If an angel shows up in your midst, it's a scary thing. And all of a sudden, they start speaking. And here's the thing, if all you ever read in the Bible is a Christmas story, you might think that angels show up and talk to people a whole lot, but history tells us, nope, not so much. There's only a handful of times where angels show up and talk. These guys are scared, and the angels, they comfort them, they say this, they say, you know, it says, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring you great joy, and it will bring great joy to all of the people. Whatever message he's coming with, it is for everyone. Then he tells them the message. Here's the message. The Savior. That's interesting. Just one? Yeah, there's, there's just one. There's only one. There's not like a lot of different saviors, kind of like we have a lot of different religions. It's, it's not like that. The Savior. In fact, to clarify, because he's speaking to a group of, 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 
uh, ethnically Jewish shepherds who would have grown up nurtured on the, the, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. They would have been told the promises that started all the way back with Abraham that started, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they've been passed on for years that one day God would come and deliver, and he would send somebody to deliver. And the Jews called him the Messiah. So they clarified. They said, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for, the Lord, he's actually been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, which would have perked up their thoughts because they're their ears if they knew their Old Testament because it was promised that through the line of David, the Messiah would come. I mean, it seems to be all coming together. And then, and then he, he's, he's, he says something interesting to them about what they should do. Here's what he says, verse 12. He says, and you will recognize him by this sign. In other words, he's saying, hey, I want you to go and look. You should go and see, and here's how you're going to know it's him. Because there were certainly other babies in Bethlehem, you know? Which, which is it? That one? Is that one? That one's, yeah, that one's not real cute. I don't know. Would, would the Messiah come and not be cute? <laughs> you know? I mean, that's what we kind of think, right? How are you going to know? You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth. And he will be lying in a manger an angel's feeding trough. And then it went crazy. Suddenly, okay, verse 13. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven. These guys, they're described as the armies of heaven, the soldiers, so to speak, of heaven. These guys are not... Mission, you know, missionaries. They're not, they're not speakers. They're not messengers. They are soldiers. The armies of heaven started praising God. And they started saying, and it's the song that we sing, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. What's happening here? The angels don't usually show up and give messages, but for some reason, on this day, God decided to speak to the blue-collar, normal guy, just like you and me, through angels. The first unlikely messenger that shows up are the angels. Now, that seems to fit, right? When you think about, wow, this is a big deal. Like the Messiah is here. Okay, we should announce it. There should be trumpets, you know. You know. It feels like that, right? I'm sorry for my theatrics, but it feels like it's a big deal. But the rest of the story takes a major turn. Because as of right now, only the shepherds know the angels didn't go to the kings. They didn't go to the leaders. They didn't go to the rich people. They didn't go to the religious. They didn't go to the priests. They didn't go to the temple. They went to a field with a bunch of sheep and shepherds. And here's what happened afterwards. The text tells us in verse 15, when the angels had returned to heaven. Now, just, can you let that sink in for a minute? It's like... Isn't that amazing? 
hey, by the way, somebody from heaven just came and talked to you. And then they went back. Like it was no big deal. It's crazy to me. Like the Christmas story is filled with so many unlikely things. But they returned to heaven, and the shepherds said to each other, hey, let's go back to sleep. (laughs) No! It's like, bro, we got to see this baby, like right now, right? So what do they do? said, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. The next verse tells us they hurried to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph. This is interesting. I love that word found because it's like, you know, you walk into Bethlehem, and you can go to Bethlehem today, and certainly it's changed, but but Bethlehem wasn't a huge town at that time, but it it was filled with a lot of extra people because everybody whose lineage was traced to the line of David had to go back to Bethlehem. So you go into town and you're knocking on doors. Hey, by the way, you got a baby in there? (laughs) You know, I wonder what that was like. (laughs) You're walking down the streets. Anybody hear any crying? (laughs) But eventually they found that somebody had just had a baby. Oh, let's go. They get there and what do they find? They find Mary and Joseph, but they also find the baby lying in a manger, just like the messengers said. And here's where the story, I mean, listen, (laughs) the story's already interesting, but here's where the story does take a twist that really starts to, you know, stand out to me and maybe some of what God is trying to do in our lives. Even with the unlikely things that he's allowed to happen, in your life. The next verse tells us that after seeing him, once they saw Jesus, they went and they told everybody what had happened. Normal, everyday, not wealthy, not public speakers, not well-known, just blue-collar dudes doing the same thing they do every day. How are the sheep? I don't know. They look good to me. Oh, that's bad, you know. And, uh, but, but then they... I'm sorry. <laughs> that was bad. Oh... <laughs> uh, uh. Normal dudes telling everybody what they saw. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a New Testament education. They didn't know the ins and outs of who Jesus was and what he was going to do. They didn't, they, they had, they didn't know how to answer your deepest, darkest questions and objections to whether or not Jesus is the Messiah or not. They didn't have any training. They didn't have any background. They weren't taught how to go door to door and talk to people. They just said, here's what we saw. I don't know if you believe me or not, but I saw it, and it seems like it's a big deal. Wow. Isn't that interesting? And they told him what the angel had said. That this baby, there's something special about him. Now the text tells us in the very next verse that people listened and everybody who heard their story, they were astonished. Here's the interesting thing. The text doesn't tell us that everybody who heard them believed them. 
It doesn't tell us that everybody was like, cool, Jesus is the Messiah. It just says they're astonished. They're like, what in the world is happening? And can I be honest with you? Like, the first reaction to the good news of the gospel, if we take it seriously, has probably got to be like, what in the world? Why would God do that for me? God doesn't call you to convince people, but he does call you to be a messenger. And he called the shepherds, normal, everyday people, with messy backgrounds just like ours, wondering where the next day's food is going to come from and wondering how they're going to pay the bills to be messengers. And people heard and listened. Then the shepherds did what shepherds do. They went back to their sheep. The text tells us that the shepherds went back to their flocks And they were glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen because they were like, wow, what is this? It was just as the angel had told them. So what is God doing? He's using an unlikely variety of messengers. Angels? Yeah, that seems to make sense. That's cool. Shepherds? Nah. Wouldn't pick them. Kings? Yeah, maybe. That's cool. You know, some of the, you know, some of the priests that, that are good speakers, you know, everybody's favorite rabbi, let's listen to him. Yeah, that's cool. Shepherds? Probably not. Probably wouldn't pick them. And you know how many times we feel like, yeah, I probably wouldn't pick me? I'm not really sure I can be a messenger. I don't know how to speak. I don't know what to say. I don't know. I don't have the answer to all the questions. Yeah, I know. And the interesting thing is right in front of us in the Christmas story is this message that God uses unlikely people to be his messengers. I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about us. God uses the angels. And he uses the shepherds. The three unlikely messengers start with them. Now, the text goes on, okay? So we got these, we got these three unlikely messengers. Okay, you have angels, you have the, the shepherds. Then, then I want to take you to Matthew, to the other, the other account of the Christmas story, okay? Matthew was a tax collector, and he tells us his, his account kind of from a, a Jewish perspective, okay? So he, he talks to us from, from that perspective. In chapter 2 and verse 1, it says this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Okay, we just heard about that. In Judea, okay, that's the southern portion of Israel, okay? Now, he was born during the reign, wait a minute, we heard about the reign of Caesar Augustus. Yeah, Caesar Augustus is like the big boss, okay? He's like the head honcho kind of in the world at that time because the Roman Empire was pretty much over everything, including Israel. But Rome had these kind of surrogate kings to take care of, you know, different areas. And, and Herod was one of those surrogate kings. And Herod was a little bit of a wily character. 
History tells us a lot about Herod. You can read about him. Herod was so scared of his own shadow that he built fortresses everywhere and he elevated them so high so that no matter which fortress he was in in the nation of Israel, he could get smoke or fire signals from one of the other fortresses if someone was coming to kill him. He was a little focused on his own safety. He was so scared uh, uh, that, that people were trying to kill him that he even killed off members of his own family because he thought that they wanted to kill him. This dude had a little bit of a problem, okay? He was a little off. So the text tells us that it was during the reign of King Herod, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, and they were asking a question. Now, It's important to pay attention to the words there because it tells us that they were from eastern lands. Where? I don't know. Is this China? Is this Korea? I don't know. Is this Thailand? Is this Vietnam? I don't know. We don't know. But the bottom line is the fact that they are from eastern lands tells us that they are non-Jewish people. Now, to the Jewish audience, you wouldn't usually pay attention to non-Jewish people. They kind of had this thing. We might call it arrogance. Who knows? But they kind of had this thing. that they, They, especially on matters of spiritual things, they wouldn't listen to non-Jewish people. And these non-Jewish wise guys show up and start asking questions. And here's what they're asking. They they ask in verse 2. The text tells us that they're asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Uh Uh-oh thought Herod was king. Yeah, he is. Well, there's a new king in town. And if Herod was worried before, you better believe he was worried now. He said, we saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. How in the world does that work? I don't know. It's above my pay grade. But apparently God has charge of the stars, too. Isn't that interesting? Apparently, God has charge of everything in creation. Isn't that interesting? King Herod heard about the questions. And in verse 3, we find out that he was deeply disturbed when he heard this. Now, we could just stop here and say King Herod was deeply disturbed, because he was. But when he heard the question, uh, where's the one who's king, now he's really upset. What? There's another king? Somebody's coming to take my throne? Oh, over my dead body? You know, that kind of thing. And so everybody else in Jerusalem was on edge, too, because they knew when the king was on edge... Who knows what could happen? So everybody's on edge. Verse 4 tells us that he called a meeting. He brought together the priests and the leaders, the religious people who would know the ins and outs of the scripture. And he asked them, where is this Messiah to be born? It wasn't because he wanted to go and worship him. It was because he wanted to do what he'd been doing all along. He wanted to remove every threat to his own throne. He wanted to kill him. Now the religious leaders knew, because they'd studied their Old Testament, which tells us, but they answered and they said, he is to be born in Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And then they they quote the Old Testament prophets, which tell us in verse 6, it says, 
And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come for you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So they study the scripture. They see the child's to be born in Bethlehem. Hey, Herod, child's been born in Bethlehem. How, how long has it been? We don't know. Long enough. We, we know it's long enough that these, these wise guys could travel, you know, from, from the east to, to where they were, okay? So it's taken a while, you know? That star's been there a while. They've traveled. So how old is the baby? We don't know. But then we find this, Herod's response. Verse 7, Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. He got an idea of at least how long this has been going on. So maybe how old the baby is, okay? Then he told them, verse 8, go to Bethlehem. Said, here's what I want you to do. You're going to go on my behalf. Go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Now here's, here's the thing. Where did they find the child? We don't know. It doesn't tell us they found him in Bethlehem. Could have been they went to Bethlehem, found out he was born there, found out his parents were from Nazareth, and then they go back to Nazareth. We don't know. Maybe they were still in Bethlehem. We don't know. But Herod did something wicked. The end of the story with Herod tells us that when the wise men did not go back and report to him, he sent an army to Bethlehem and slaughtered every child under the age of two. And Jesus and his family escaped to Egypt. You want to talk about unlikely events, things that don't seem to make sense, and God still working in the midst? Well, one is the unlikely messengers, certainly the angels, certainly the shepherds, but I would also say he's using non-Jewish wise men. Because you know what? Herod seemed to believe that there was a new king in town, and he was scared. Man. Thankfully, the wise men, you know, they, they understood what was going on. The text tells us in verse 9, here's, here's what it says. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. Where do they go? We don't know exactly. I mean, they go to Bethlehem, and then where in Bethlehem? I don't know. Where are they? They, they go someplace, and when they saw the star, they were filled with joy, the text tells us. And then they get to see the baby. Verse 11. They entered the house and they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasure chests and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then when it was time to leave, remember what Herod had said, go back, come back and tell me. Nah. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Now here, here's the thing. These are you know, two accounts of some of the same events where we see these unlikely, you know, this unlikely mixture of messengers. Some that we'd go, yeah, that makes sense. Some we're like, I don't get that. And then some you're like, you don't even know the Bible. You don't even know the Old Testament. But God's using them, right? 
We see this unlikely variety of messengers that God uses to proclaim Jesus' birth. And the reality is this. God can use you too. I would go a step further. That's part of what God created you for. So often we want to fill our lives with all sorts of things that we feel like, this will make me whole. No, this will make me whole. No, this will make me whole. If I just have this much money or this much stuff or get to do these things or have these people or this relationship, I'll be whole. When in reality, you were created to be made whole in relationship with God and in obedience to his purpose. God wants to use you as a messenger. Now there's one more unlikely messenger that I want to point out to you. And probably when we really stop and think about it, the most unlikely of them all, it was the baby himself. You want to send a message? Let's send it through a baby. Huh? Huh? Not the, wah, 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 wah. Not, no, we got that. No, just the actual presence of the baby is a message from the hand of God. You understand this? This is God sending a message, and again, to all people. What did the... What did the angels originally say? I'm bringing you good news and it will be filled with joy for all people. Not not good people, not just good people, not just religious people, not just like the people who kind of have their lives together and seem to be able to function, not people who don't have any like struggles, not people who aren't depressed, not just people who, who, who don't have, you know, whether it's disabilities or health problems or certain sin patterns that were like, oh, you can't do that. No, all people, everyone. Period. The most well-known verse in the Bible is more than likely John chapter 3 and verse 16, which talks about how Jesus is the essence. He is the deliverance of God's message. Here's where it is. This is how God loved the world. You want to know how we know God loves us? sent a rescuer. When I couldn't have been any less deserving, when I could not have been any more vile, God sent a rescuer. He gave his one and only son, by the way, this is the baby, wrapped in strips of cloth, and placed in a manger. And he did it to send a message that everyone, yeah, you, I, I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what your past or your present or your future has, is, or will look like. I, I don't. But I do know this. That because of Jesus, there is hope for you. 
because he is the message of God where God says, I love you and I want you in my family. Everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Man, of all the unlikely messengers, the most unlikely of them all is the baby Jesus. Who's choosing a baby to send a message? Yeah, that's what God does. The weakest, the neediest, the without support, he ain't going to make it. You understand? And God is sending a message. So here's my question for you. Have you accepted his message of salvation? This, this child, we celebrate this season, and I am so glad, and it's fun. My family, and I went to a concert last night, and it was great singing the songs and, and all kinds of people, you know, singing and away in the manger and silent night and all of that stuff, and it's great. But, but at the end of the day, unless we realize that that baby was real and he's really for you, we miss it. I know. It's a big decision. But can I tell you that when we trust God, God starts doing wonderful, wonderful things. So here's what I want to leave you with. If you've trusted him, he calls you to be a witness. I had the very distinct privilege of sharing with my daughter, and my wife did this too over and over. We shared with our daughter over the last five or six years very clearly the good news about Jesus. My wife was very diligent in talking to her over and over about Jesus because we wanted to see Anastasia come to know Christ. And earlier this year, um, she did trust Christ, but can I tell you, she only trusted Christ when her 15-year-old brother came alongside her and started telling her about what Jesus was doing in his life. And there was a little bit of jealousy in me that day <laughs> and a little bit of frustration. And I know for my wife too because we wanted to lead her to Christ. But at the end of the day, it all dissipated because the only thing that matters is that she knows Jesus. But God used my 15-year-old son. You ask him to explain to you the ins and outs of theology, he's, he's not going to do it. He'd probably try because he's a pretty confident guy. <laughs> he's 15. He doesn't know what he doesn't know. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> but God used him. You're telling me he can't use you? I think he's bigger than that. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus and all that he has done. That he has come and he has delivered your message that you love us so very much that you're not willing to be without us. And so you did everything. You went to the ends of the earth with your son and he laid it all down as a perfect sacrifice for us. God, I pray. I pray that you would use us even in the next week to be your messengers. It's one of the most 
Simple times to invite somebody to come and hear about Jesus by inviting them to a Christmas service. It's an easy way for us to be a messenger. And we never know what you're going to do because, God, you're the one who convinces people. We, our job's not to convince. Ours is just to share the message. So, God, I pray that you'd use us. And I pray, I pray that each and every one of us would, would wrestle with that question. Have we, have we trusted you? I pray that we'd trust you. Because you're trustworthy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.